This episode of The Vergecast is brought to you by IBM. By the end of this podcast, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have launched. That's terrifying. But IBM uh, has AI that can help protect your data from threats wherever it lives with IBM security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com slash smart. Hello, welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of theverge.com. Mm-hmm of Vox Media, yep. of your life, mm-hmm. the automobile that you're now in. For sure. I am Eli. I'm going to tell you right now, just stop the show. Dieter's not here. He's off. He's got the co-conference. He's got a little Sclusi brewing. What? Dieter's having a ride. So he's not here today. It's real sad. But he'll be back next week. He's going to tell us about all the things happening. But Nack Aaron is here. Hey. Casey Newton is here. What's up? In Cross Podcast Network Synergy. Casey, congratulations on the launch of Converge. Thank you. It finally happened. It was really fun. You really? Yeah, I know. Let's just talk over each other for the entire hour. This is the heart of the verge chest. No, <laughs> congratulations. You really drew it out there. Thank you. You know, um, the podcast was in development for so long that I was beginning to routinely receive tweets from people who asked me whether the entire thing was just an elaborate con. Mm. And I tried to explain to them that we were fermenting the show like a fine wine so that when we finally uncorked it, it would be rich and buttery and smooth. And indeed, I feel like it was. So That's better than what I've been saying, which is Casey started with a pun and we had to backtrack from there <laughs> into figuring out what the hell was going to happen. But congratulations, my friend. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for making a podcast. We'll talk about Converge more in a minute. But Paul Miller, oh. you here, is also here. Hello. All right, so I, we, gotta, we just got to start. Mm-hmm. I want to say, and I, this is a crazy thing to say, but just hear me out. I think Elon Musk has had the wildest week of his public life as a billionaire this week. The twists, the turns, the getting Grimes to change her name to the symbol for the speed of light, and then an all-out assault in the past two days on the media. Casey, I asked you to help us understand what's going on. So here's, here's the timeline I got. Last week yeah. on Thursday or Friday— he, um, it was Friday. He had a press conference for the Boring Company, which was basically a pep rally. Liz Lopato, our science editor, described it as a pep rally because uh, he's going to build the tunnel under Los Angeles. And he had a party. He promised to give people flamethrowers. That's a high. That's like an Elon Musk high. And then yesterday, he was like literally attacking Verge reporter Andy Hawkins on Twitter, saying he'd lost all credibility. And then, like, I was feeding my baby at four in the morning and I, like, Holding a baby, I'm like, let's see what quiet things are happening on Twitter now. And, and then I, you immediately drop the baby. <laughs> yeah, I drop the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Out well, of shock. <laughs> she, was, she was like doing the burps. Anyway, I was like, I'm looking at the phone because she's like, anyway, I promise I'm doing an excellent job of caring for the baby. But I look at the phone, Elon Musk is still tweeting about how much he hates the media, mm-hmm. still goading the media. Mm-hmm. Casey, how did we go from the high of digging tunnels under the city of Los Angeles? to come on media, vote in the poll that I'm basing credibility on? Well, Nilay, it all began yesterday when he linked to an article on a publication called Electrek that featured a note from an analyst named Ben Callow who said that, quote, there are uh, increasingly immaterial reports about Tesla that have dominated news cycles. And Musk wrote in response, quote, the holier-than-thou hypocrisy of big media companies who lay claim to the truth but publish only enough to sugarcoat the lie is why the public no longer respects them. Okay, so first uh, of all, I just want to yeah. say, 
in terms of Elon tweets, that one clearly written by Grimes, because it almost <laughs> makes an enormous amount of sense and then doesn't, just like most of yeah. Grimes' lyrics. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm down to have this conversation, but if we're going to start shitting on Grimes, I'm walking out no, the I'm door. I'm just saying, that's why the power of her music is like, it's just ambiguous enough. So that that's right. And then uh, our own Andrew J. Hawkins uh, replied at... Uh, at Mr. Musk, calling him a, quote, media-baiting Trump figure. Uh, Andy said, Musk continues a slow transformation into a media-baiting Trump figure, screaming irrationally about fake news. Hope it works out for you, dude, exclamation point. And I think Andy may have been being sarcastic there. If there's one thing you should take away from this conversation, it's just never, ever be sarcastic on Twitter. And if you must be sarcastic on Twitter, then just make a video. For, for me, to be sarcastic on Twitter, I just use a lot of exclamation points. That, that tends to help. Oh, it's, it like, it's like I'm screaming, but <laughs> internally. I kind of like it when people misunderstand what I'm saying. <laughs> Paul Miller, everybody. <laughs> All right. So, Casey, you, you're just like everyone just assumes you're sarcastic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's to the point now where I'll say something very sincere and someone assumes it's sarcastic. That's probably bad for me long term. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if I decided to stop being sarcastic on Twitter, frankly, I wouldn't have a lot to tweet about. So. Um, I don't know. Sarcasm is fun to just kind of like puncture the the craziness uh, every once in a while. Um, yeah. But anyway, we're, we're sort of getting off track from this war that Andy started. Yeah, he did start a war. Be- because he started a war. So so after he tweets this thing, the uh, hope it works out for you, dude, Musk responds with, thought you'd say that. Anytime anyone criticizes the media, the, midi- the media shrieks, you're just like Trump. Why do you think he got elected in the first place? Because no one believes you anymore. You lost your credibility a long time ago. And then, and then this was probably where it sort of went to absolute crazy town. Musk tweets, problem is, journos are under constant pressure to get max clicks. Max clicks. Advertising dollars or get fired. Tricky situation as Tesla doesn't advertise, but fossil fuel companies and gas and diesel car companies are among the world's biggest advertisers. So the implication here is that uh, all the, all of the media has been dragged into a conspiracy whereby uh, gas and diesel car manufacturers are uh, sort of buying us off with ads to make Tesla look bad. And I, I'm just going to say, that's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm! <laughs> no, that's, okay. There's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Just a lot. Here's what I will say. And I think this is, again, I'm... I'm officially back next week. I'm like in the news cycle. I'm just like dropping in and out of this all day yesterday. Right. Elon Musk is smarter. If I was to be like, the car industry is hopelessly corrupt. And then I like attacked Elon. He'd be like, no, I'm not the car industry. Mm. I don't speak for the car industry. I'm set apart from the car industry. So just I assume he is aware of this. Mm. If I was like every subway operator in the world is a disaster. He'd be like, well, the Hyperloop is not a subway operator. I was like, every uh, rocket company is not landing the rockets. You'd be like, SpaceX is landing the rockets, right? Like, industries are not the same. Most of them are hyper-competitive. The media in particular is hyper-competitive. So it's, like, pretty weird for him to attack one reporter in a way that paints the entire media. Like, that's, like, just your first, to me, the so baseline I read, problem. I read a pretty good um, take on this from Benedict Evans, uh, who works for Andreessen Horowitz, the the venture firm. And his take on this was that Tesla, more so than other companies, 
is dependent on positive media coverage. And the reason is, is that it's running out of money, right? You go through and you look at the, the past few financial reports from Tesla. This is a company that is burning cash. It can't hit the deadlines that it's hit for itself. And so eventually, it's going to need to go back to the capital markets and raise a bunch of money. And what makes that very difficult is when you have the press that is raising appropriate questions about your ability to do the things that you say you're going to do. So Evan's argument was Musk is scared because to him, bad press is actually an existential issue. And so he has the same incentive that Trump does to destroy the or to impugn the credibility of the media. Uh, if he can make you believe that the media never tells the truth about Tesla, maybe he'll be able to raise more money from the capital markets when the time comes. So I think that's largely true. I think the other problem he has, and he, you know, he said this on the Tesla call the other day. We covered it. He put out the Model 3 and said this is a $35,000 car, but he hasn't actually shipped any of those. Right, he's shipping the more expensive ones. People are getting them; they're happy about them. I see a tweet from a happy Model Three owner who took delivery like once a day, but they're way, way more expensive. And he said, "I can't ship the cheap ones because if I do that, Tesla won't exist anymore. I have to ship the expensive ones at higher margins before I can ship these cheap ones." And he's still in production hell, right? He's like sleeping at the factory every day. He's like very public about this. That. Combined with the issue Casey is talking about, which is as a business, even if everything was going great, they're still not ready to like run a self-sufficient business inside of Tesla. That is like really, truly existential. And not for nothing, the press around the Model 3 has not been consistently good either. So Consumer Reports, which I would say is a mixed bag sometimes. Um, a problematic Are you attacking reviewer. the media? <laughs> <laughs> They're a competitor. Everyone's wrong but us. Uh, no, whatever. No, Consumer Reports tends to uh, oversell it when they don't recommend a product, right? They do it with the iPhone every year six times in a row. They're like, we don't recommend the iPhone. And Apple's like, we solved the one problem with, like, scroll animations. And Consumer's like, we now recommend the iPhone. Like, this mm. is a constant thing that they do. Um, anyway, but yeah, they— Consumer Reports is a messy bitch that lives for drama. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. go on. That's why you're here, Casey. Uh, but they, you know, they said there are some breaking issues with the Model Three. There are some build issues with Model Three. Uh, when we had our Model Three review unit, we only had it for a few hours here. I didn't get a close look at it, but our photographer James Barham came back after shooting it, and he was like, "Hey, do you notice the paint on that car? Like, some of the panels are different colors, and some of them have that like orange peel, bad paint job quality on them." And this mm -hmm. is the review unit they gave us. So, like, there's definitely like issues with the Model Three. And if that cycle continues, where the people who are the most excited about it now, as they're getting their expensive ones, are unhappy with the car, and they're being really public about it, then that, the whole cycle of Model 3 collapses. So I think there's just a lot of stress on Elon, and the, the way he can do it is to utterly dismiss any criticism of his company. But that does not explain the behavior, right? Like, that's a weird... I like I, I, I totally understand. Huh? Go ahead. And th I mean, this just goes into the realm of just pure speculation about an unknowable other person's mind. But I, I do have to wonder if Elon has bought the hype a little bit, right? Like, 
Um, many people pointed out today that almost no one has benefited from positive press more than Elon Musk, right? Mm -hmm. In the past many years, uh, we have built him up into this figure. We compare him constantly to Iron Man. He's the rocket man. Like, we really have sort of held him up as uh, as this beacon of innovation. And certainly he's done many, many impressive things. And I wonder if in his mind, he has sort of uh, ascended to this next level where the, you know, the the concerns of peons in the press no longer apply to him and he should just sort of be able to live his Iron Man life. That's certainly the how he comes off. I hope he doesn't think that. Um, but that has been the impression I've got lately is that, you know, uh, th these concerns that we raise, like, d don't apply uh, to, to immortals like him. Yeah, but like Steve Jobs was not there tweeting, right? Like, Larry Ellison, for all I know, is like an evil mastermind, right? He's not out there tweeting, right? Like, he's just launching lawsuit after lawsuit against Google to take down Android. Like, <laughs> you know, like I get it. Like, if you want to be that person, you can be that person. But then I think the man of the people that Elon's trying to do on Twitter cuts against him because he's providing this endless ammunition. Not for nothing, neither Tesla or SpaceX can hold on to a PR staff for longer than six months. Hmm. Like he hires professionals to help him with this, and then they literally start drinking and disappear. They're like, we're moving to the woods now. Anyhow, Casey, where do you think this all goes? Do you think he's going to launch his well, news? The reason I wanted you to talk about it is because you cover social networks and democracy all the time, every day on your newsletter, The Interface. And his right. last threat was, I'm starting a site to rank news by its core truth, which is choice. For a lot of reasons. Right. And track the credibility score over time of each journalist, editor, and publication. And he said, maybe jokingly, that he would name the website Pravda, which was, of course, the official newspaper of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So it, I don't know how seriously to take this because it does feel like an elaborate troll. Um uh, we just put up a piece which I have not yet had a chance to read about why this is a bad idea. Uh I think it's going to be very ultimately what you get when you ask people to track the credibility score of a, of a journalist or a publication is you're just going to get something that reflects the belief of, of whoever is making it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I mean, there, there are some like trippy epistemological issues in here of how do you know what you think, you know, right? Like it can get very freshman philosophy real quick when you start asking about, you know, why do you believe what you read in the media and like, which things do you believe in the media and, and which don't you, um, but, you know, there are also a lot of hardworking journalists who have a lot of credibility. You take their their work very seriously. And by the way, the vast majority of the journalism done about Tesla and all of Elon Musk's companies is done in good faith. And it has been the work of great journalists that has exposed, you know, some unsafe uh, working conditions at some of his factories, um, has shed light on some of the high profile car accidents that that um, that uh, are maybe connected to his uh, autopilot feature. So, you know, th these are good things. And I think a better CEO, instead of trying to impugn the media, would say, hey, we're listening uh, and we're going to try to fix this stuff. And by the way, as somebody who writes a lot about Facebook, a company that has had even more scandals than Elon Musk has had over the past 18 months, I would say, go back and look at how they responded. Uh, initially, they responded very poorly in a lot of ways. But then after they saw they were getting pilloried, instead of saying the media is wrong about everything, they went back, they introduced a lot of changes into the way their software works, they held a lot of press conferences, they sent Mark Zuckerberg to do a 
lot of interviews. It was a much different approach. And if you look at the headlines about Facebook over the past month, they're far better than they were for Facebook uh, than the headlines of the previous month. And I think Elon Musk could get to that place too, but it would require actually listening to his critics and unveiling some changes that might actually address some of their concerns. So here's like a thought. If you're listening to this and you're like an Elon stan, we should talk about the Elon stands because they are out there. But if you're listening to this, you're all raging. You're going to tweet at us, which you can do. That's great. But like, here's the thought experiment about Pravda you should do. There was the big Center for Investigative Journalism project story about working conditions at Tesla factories. This is not, by the way, an organization that relies on clicks and fossil fuel advertising, right? They're like a uh, nonprofit investigative journalism operation. But they wrote, Elon Musk doesn't like the color yellow. He doesn't like beeping in his factory. They had a bunch of documents and interviews from people who were like, yes, the working conditions of these factories are unsafe. They had a letter from their former safety officer that had been sent to Elon Musk saying, I know it keeps people up at night and I'm not sleeping right now at Tesla. So this is a lot. Like, it's a lot. Here, is, here are the claims. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no core truth, right, to evaluate there. Like, those are the claims that people working at Tesla are making. Elon is like, hey, there's miles of yellow tape in the factory. Now, you can't evaluate that someone has to go in and be like, let's look. Is this up to is this up to the standard? Is there enough? Are the complaints that are being made by these workers accurate? Or is Elon right? Right. And like, actually, there's there's a middle ground here. You can't possibly evaluate the core truth just by one person says something and then a richer, more famous person says you're lying. I think it's interesting that. Elon Musk, I think at this moment in time, definitely has more credibility on the topics of Tesla and SpaceX, despite his obvious yeah. his obvious interest, than the media at large. And so it is kind of a, uh, I, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem very applicable or co- correct reaction from him. And like Casey points out, you know, he is someone who's enjoyed an, a, an incredible amount of positive press in mm-hmm. in his career. Um, but it is, I do think there is, uh, I do think (laughs) the media lacks a lot of credibility Mm -hmm. in the United States, especially, and it tends to pick fights with people and then kind of keep piling on. And, uh, like, I, I, I really feel like, uh, you know, the, for instance, take like the PewDiePie situation. I think that was kind of like a big wake up call for like a lot of younger people to realize that I love PewDiePie. I'm a fan of PewDiePie. I enjoy his content. I, I agree with him morally and ethically because he's basically my guru of yeah. life, right? Now, the Wall Street Journal is going to come after him by like calling up advertisers and basically break YouTube. Mm-hmm. Who am I going to side with? Right. Am, am I going to side with the scold or am I going to side with PewDiePie, my hero? I'm gonna, and so I, I think the media, may, for, for good or for bad, has had a lot of those moments over the past few years and is not trusted. And wait, obviously, wait. obviously making a, a Pravda a yeah. credibility rating site is not the way to fix any of no. this. But it's like it's broken. But, Doing that is broken there's a, conceptually. There's a, reason, there, there's a reason why it's a powerful accusation saying you're right. part of the corrupt media. So the, the 
I think there's a whole thing happening here, right? There's there's an entire world of culture on the internet that exists that has never faced the scrutiny of other people who make culture and products, right? So PewDiePie lived in a bubble with his fans. The bubble is ever expanding. The size of that bubble suddenly hit the limit where the people who generally criticize that culture and hold people to account start taking notice of it. And that was just a new experience for everyone. But if... I don't know, a Fox sitcom was out there making Nazi jokes, which is what PewDiePie was doing, we would instantly and immediately hold them to account in that way. And that is like the big problem. Elon does not live in that world. Elon is a fucking billionaire. He's always been held to that level of account. Just, that's what he does. People, people, their livelihoods depend on him in a huge way. Mm -hmm. Like lots and lots and lots of people are... That global like communications infrastructure depends on SpaceX launching the rockets and, and touching them down again, right? Like the amount of reliance we have on him is not as an entertainer, it's not as a guru, it's not as a lifestyle coach. Like he is a captain of industry. Mm-hmm. So like the comparison there like falls apart a little bit because PewDiePie can rail about the media, but he is the media. I don't think it's a fair turnabout for for Elon Musk to go after the media's general unpopularity to bolster his own. Yeah, flagging popularity. But I will say... Elon Musk fucks up and people in his factories lose their arms. Right. Like, that's like... PewDiePie the, fucks up press, and like... The press fucks up and people learn lies. Right. And I, I am... See, I definitely... In, in this scenario, I'm seeing a lot of people in the media who say, we want to be able to criticize people. We are the people who are keeping people safe from Elon do- fucking up. And then... If the media is attacked in a general sense, and it might not be fair, the media is like, oh, well, we got to have protect our free speech. Like the media seems to really not react to criticism very well. But I think this is the core problem, right? Like you can't look at it as a unified block. Like the car industry does not react to criticism well. It's not a sentence that you would say in the way that you are well, currently we, saying it about the media. We complain about like um, – we, we complain about like ecosystems, like the technology industry likes to create these uh, ecosystem lock-ins and these walled, yeah. walled gardens and beautiful handcuffs and stuff like that. Because the, the, I can pull that apart. And too. we're not saying we hate technology. We love technology, which is why we're criticizing. Yeah. The media is fiercely competitive and they have some of the same incentives and they do some of the same things. But you can't paint us all with the same brush. It just like doesn't make sense the way that we don't paint Apple and Google and Facebook all with the same brush every time we talk about the tech industry. Like, particularly on this well, show, which... Go ahead. And, and that's why it's such an effective criticism, right? Because there's only one Elon Musk, but if he criticizes the media, then folks like us have to spend 30 minutes weighing, well, is the media good or bad? When the answer is, well, there's some good journalists and some bad journalists, and there's some fair stories and some unfair stories, right? And I think most fair-minded people can see that, but it's become so easy for people like Musk and, yes, like Trump to say, oh, the media is so unfair, and then, you know, go find some example of unfairness in the media and then that becomes the discussion instead of their, uh, you know, corruption or their unsafe working conditions or whatever the problem might be. So, you know, of course, the, the, the media is rife with problems and it, and it will always deserve scrutiny and it will always mess up. But, man, if we get to a place where the media is seen as just another tribe and you have to decide whether you're with the media or you're with, you know, whoever the, the demagogue of the day is, then we're just in real deep trouble. Don't you yeah. think that's where we already are? No. It, it already 100%. feels like, it already <laughs> yeah, feels like the media is a tribe. Look, I'm more 
hopeful. Like I go home every day. There's like new life in my house. I'm like, she's gonna. We're gonna make a better world for her. I just think people want Elon to succeed. Like yeah. that's actually the core of it, mm-hmm. right? There, there and are so not does the media. By the way, right? Like, yeah. When they his put on the cover of magazines, come down. It's good for us. Yeah, we just made a video with him. Like Lauren just shot a video with him in SpaceX. <laughs> like we're not out to get him. We're just. It's the same as anything. Mm-hmm. He makes a bunch of claims, mm-hmm. and we're like, "Hey, is that we're going to check your work?" Mm-hmm. And right now, the, the I think the claim that he's reacting to the most is, "Are you going to ship the Model Three on time?" And that's just hard. <laughs> like, I don't know if the answer is yes. Yeah. I don't know if he knows the answer is yes. And he's in a relationship with a girl who just changed his name, changed her name to Speed of Light because she's so into him. That's a lot to deal with. That's a lot. All he's sleeping at the factory. He's in a new new love is blooming. Mm-hmm. He's stressed. Maybe don't tweet at that time. Well, he did end the rant yesterday with, I'm having the best week. Like, this is a great moment for me. So That's like a true sign like a that you are off help. the goddamn yeah, no, that, rails. That, that is like a cry for help. <laughs> like, if you are in a Twitter war with thousands of people who are like, fuck you, and you're like, I'm having the time of my life. Well, no, not. I think more people were saying, you're awesome than the other. But yes, go on. Oh, so he tried to take down a sign. I mean, like, I just think this whole, Paul, I, I take your point, like, a little bit. Right, like it is. There's a narr- there's a counter narrative about Elon mm. that is forming. Mm. It's great. It's out there. But there's an ice cold story to write about the Model Three. There's yeah. an ice cold story to write about the conditions in that factory. There's an ice cold story to write about the future of Tesla as a company. And if he actually wants that coverage to be fair, what he needs to do, what every CEO of every company needs to do, is participate in those stories to make them fair. And just to be clear, I wasn't saying that Elon wasn't deflecting. I'm saying he is absolutely deflecting. And this is why it is a powerful way to deflect right now. All right. Well, I'm going to deflect us to this ad for the Dollar Shave Club. Hey. And then we're going to talk about BlackBerry phones. All right. This episode of VergeCast brought to us by the Dollar Shave Club, which delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. That's a sentence. Any particular product that you've fallen in love with outside of the razor and... They, okay, here, let, let me lay this out for you, Eli. Yeah. They want you people to come away with knowing that this is a full bathroom experience. Razors is just like a part of the package. It's not the key ingredient anymore. See, you did a good job. You did better than me. Anyway, Dollar Shave Club, yes, that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that will leave your bottom feeling tingly clean. I see what you're saying, Paul. They've got amber and lavender calming body cleanser. You've never smelled anything like it. Good luck finding a product that great at the store. You brick and mortar <laughs> sick of pants. That's a lot. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made of top shelf ingredients. They won't break your budget. You will feel the difference. Plus, shipping is included with your membership. And there's a great way to try a bunch of their products. For just five bucks, you can get their daily essential starter kit. It comes with body cleanser. One wipe Charlie's, the butt wipes that we mentioned previously. The world famous shave butter and their best razor, the sick Six blade executive to keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month. Add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash verge. That is dollarshaveclub.com slash verge. Stores. <laughs> Stupid stores. It's a very scary feeling of you reading that ad and looking straight at Paul's face. I like to threaten Paul during the ad reads. I've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> He's like, lavender wipes Paul. You see, I'm trying to... We're product reviewers, right? It's fundamentally weird for me to read these ads. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's always been a tension with us. Is, uh, you, no, like, no, I'm not saying that none of that is weird. No, it's I weird listen, when you talk about butt wipes to Paul, like yeah. very angrily. I've never gotten a butt wipe like this. No, I listen to Vox Media's uh, great podcast today, Explained, mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they do the ads, and they get to just like be in the ads. Yeah. Because they're like reporting on politics, and like they're not reviewing products, they're certainly not recommending products in the content of the thing, which yeah. is a thing we do all the time. Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. when you read like ads, you look at me, it's like, I dare you to to accuse me of recommending this in a professional <laughs> journalistic capacity. Yeah. Or I'm just trying to gin myself up <laughs> into like having a little emotion, so it's not totally fine. Anyway, speaking of products, mm-hmm. uh, Dieter's not here, but I want to talk to the Red Hydrogen One. Dieter went to an event, I think it was in LA, Nat? Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood. Hollywood, where Red is. Mm-hmm. Um, got to play with the phone. Weirdly, they would not let us film the screen. Yes, it's... Always a good sign. Yeah, I'm, I'm told it's because it the display just doesn't translate well on camera is what their excuse is. We don't actually know what the problem is, but that is why they did not want him to. Yeah, so tell us about the, the phone. That. I mean, it's it plays on the same idea as a bunch of other modular phones. Like we've seen it from Essential, we've seen a bunch of Moto phones with mods. Um, so this is Red's version, and it's going to have like an insanely expensive camera that you can attach it to, and the phone itself is also insanely expensive. Twelve hundred dollars. It's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so yeah, like the idea is just like this is this is crazy modular phone that you can shoot like insane videos with, and then you can use it to like see your insane three D display. So it's two yeah. cameras on the front. Yep. And you can like video chat with holograms. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's this holo chat thing where yeah, you have this special screen where you can theoretically FaceTime somebody in like a three D effect. It it's very weird. So Dieter couldn't yeah. show the screen, right? But if you watch the video to to convey the idea that it's in three D, there's just a lot of shots of him like going around the screen. <laughs> mm. He's like, look, I'm looking at all the sides. It's he, great. He says it doesn't pop out of the screen. But right. that there's a depth to the screen, and it's not just like a simple lenticular like mm-hmm. two angles. It seems like there's more than two angles. But it well, wasn't. But it also wasn't really the selling point of the phone. He said it was cool, but it wasn't like, oh my god, you have to get this phone because the screen is so cool. He was just like, it's sure, it's neat, but like, meh. well, so I, we, I, I don't know. We know a bunch of YouTubers. We go to a lot of events. At every event, people have built entire camera rigs around an iPhone. Mm. Right, like they've got a mic mounted. Actually, Dieter has built an entire camera rig off of an iPhone. Right, um, he's got a, a mic mounted on it. They've got custom lenses. It's on a gimbal. If you're red and you're seeing that slowly creep towards you, and really the thing you want to do is get all the YouTubers to like buy a red weapon or whatever Marquez has. I'm very jealous of his camera. Um, why wouldn't you build the camera that's like the phone that's the starting point for all of those people? Right. So you can be like, buy this phone. Mm-hmm. It's the best phone to begin as a filmmaker. It's your phone. It's the most expensive purchase you're making anyway. Buy the one with the best camera and we'll build you a modular ecosystem of cool red stuff to put all around it. That's because the OS is still not Apple. <laughs> right, but they can't get it, right? For me, the ideal situation is you make films, you need a good LCD for using with your red camera. Might as well spend a little bit extra and get this red phone as your like monitor for for filming, mm-hmm. right? Because you could also just use it as a standalone phone. But you're not going to use it typically as your monitor for a 3D 
You're not, most people aren't filming three in 3D. Yeah, that so ship like, has sailed. Right. The, I just want to be clear. The, the 3D hype, what, what was the end of it? The, when The Hobbit? Was The Hobbit no, like the Hobbit the was in 240, one? and that looked horrible. Remember, we, we had a whole story about it. About it, was like it. A, it was a different frame rate, but also 3D. Yeah. But I felt like that was like, for me, that felt like the end of like, okay, we're not allowed to experiment with yeah. this. Peter Jackson, you're done now. People hate experimentation. They want to watch everything at 24 frames per second. Yeah. And if you make it big in 70 millimeter, they'll like that too. But don't screw with 3D or frame rates. Yeah. And so I, I don't know why they, I mean, I, I guess it's fun. It's fun to experiment with like weird 3D technology. And I'm sure it will be like really impressive. But as far as a, a useful tool to filmmakers, 3D but doesn't I think seem that's like. Not like the, I don't think they're. I mean, they have a distribution problem, right? Like, you can film in 3D, but then what the hell? Unless you have a red phone, you're not going to watch it. I think it's – they made a neat display because they had the opportunity to make a neat display. Uh -huh. But I think the fundamental selling point of the phone is we're going to – you're going to build this ecosystem of red stuff around it so that when you roll into, you know, your YouTube event as a YouTuber, uh -huh. instead of having the iPhone and a gimbal with all the shit around it, you're going to have a red camera and a gimbal with all the shit around it. And you'll still be shooting in regular 2D 4K. Can that to me is what I read. Here? Yeah. Okay. So as we've been recording this podcast, we had some breaking news, which is that Andy Rubin is apparently putting Essential up for sale. Oh and they're God. not going to make the Essential phone too. What? So, yeah. So, one, that's a big deal. That's a huge two, deal. it seems incredibly relevant in the context of this conversation about the red phone because Essential had the same idea, right? Which is we're going to create a family of products and the smartphone is going to be at the center of those. And so we're going to invest a lot in a, in a really good phone. And then that is going to inspire you to buy all of these other products. They raised $300 million to do that. And they had the father of Android as their CEO. And they got nowhere with it. Nowhere. So I take a look at something like the Red, this phone. I think it looks beautiful. It actually looks like an old uh, cassette tape. Like I yeah. think it looks badass. Um, and they're selling it at a crazy high price point. And I just can't imagine that they're going to sell more than 100 of them. Like, I don't know who who these outsiders are who are making these phones thinking that anybody wants anything other than an iPhone or a, a normal Android phone. So, okay, let me distinguish these two things. I'm going to try. I, I agree with you because ultimately the story of the Vergecast is the story of Android phones failing. It's true. That's that's what we've been covering, the life and death of Android phones. Some of them, two, two of them are successful. Uh, the Galaxy... Well, two categories, Samsung's phones and then everything that's happening in India and in China, right? And then everything in that middle zone in America tends to flame out. Mm -hmm. But here's how I would distinguish these things. Um, Red is not trying to be a mainstream consumer company. They, they have no pretension of that. They're not making point-and-shoot cameras or whatever. They're this high-end creator company. So they just serve that audience and, you know, sales of their high-end film cameras subsidized their, like, phone dalliance, they've still got, like, a great business going. Essential, if you remember, launched the Code Conference last year. This is great timing because the Code Conference is next week. Uh, so it's, like, one year to the day that this thing, like, failed. Um, they launched with the phone is our first product, but really we're making something called Ambient OS, and we're going to put an Alexa-like device in your house that will somehow link every other device in the world together and you'll just like wander through life speaking to Andy Rubin, who will then turn on your lights for you. 
and we just need to make a phone because that's the first step. And if we don't have the phone, then we can't build this OS that goes everywhere with you. So their promise was like, it was a mainstream, we're going to build another Sony curve. And they couldn't even get the phone off the ground. I think Red's promise is more like, people love us. They already buy our super high-end expensive things. Having this like beautiful giant phone, it'll just be another status symbol that we can sell. And hopefully this generation of kids that wants to be YouTubers will buy this phone instead of a Samsung. I also just don't think that this phone, as expensive as it is, if you had the money to buy a red device in the first place it's not going to be your primary phone like this is clearly like a gadget that youtubers or bloggers are going to play with or take with them when they're on shoots i don't think it's going to replace their iphone i think it's just like a thing that they're going to shoot with that just happens to be a little more portable yeah i mean i really want one (laughs) yeah i just feel i just feel like red's red's core competency has been oh you want we know what you want we will be the company that builds it for you. Sony and Canon won't build that camera that you actually want. We'll build it. It will cost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. and like iPhone can make a, a phone with a really good camera, but it's not going to be at this capacity, and it's not going to work with a bunch of other other stuff. It doesn't also look like you can bolt it onto the back of a Jeep Wrangler and it will survive. <laughs> it, <laughs> Which is like it really does look like you can run aesthetic. over it with a car and it's going to live. I just feel like they're differentiating themselves with something that they're core very loyal market doesn't want yeah we'll see all right yeah Speaking of core loyal market yeah do it that <laughs> blackberry it's still alive with a new phone oh man <laughs> what's um, it called it's called the key two because <laughs> why is it called because that? the one before it was called key one <laughs> originality <laughs> key two still got keys <laughs> remember those <laughs> uh what's going on with this they have uh, dual cameras um, well, it's a teaser, but it's basically, yeah, like, it's pretty much all but confirmed that there is a new BlackBerry phone. It's mm-hmm. running Android. It's got a keyboard, of course. Um, it has dual cameras, and it's got, um, BlackBerry is now two divisions. There's the mobile division that sells the hardware, and then there's the software division that sells their, like, security, like, software stuff. A strategy device. that worked great for Palm. Teeter's <laughs> <laughs> not here. Um, anyway, so this phone will have the... BlackBerry software stuff pre-installed, and yeah, um, it's very strange. <laughs> we, I, I mean, like, the last time BlackBerry came out with the phone, the key one, the senior members of the team were like, this phone was a success, and then news came out <laughs> that was like, BlackBerry <laughs> sold 850,000 units all of 2017. We don't uh, know how many of those BlackBerry were should put vending machines in Acela stations between New York and D.C. <laughs> Those are the only people who are buying these phones, as near as I can tell. And to be fair, the phone was quite well-reviewed. Like, Dan Seifert reviewed it, and he was like, you know what? Like, this is an enter- enterprise phone. I tried it. I totally understand why people like it. They're, the keyboard makes it so much easier to function and work and concentrate because I'm not out on Twitter putting, like, emojis everywhere. <laughs> I'm answering emails. So it makes sense. Like, this is a phone that was created for a very targeted audience that... Works for them, but it didn't sell a lot of them because people want their personal phones to also be easy to use. Like, is there a world to be? Um, I think compared, I believe the last report we had was like Nokia in quarter four of 2017 sold like 4.4 million phones. So you know, in comparison, that it's very abysmal. But so you're not taking over the world, but Android's not going anywhere as operating system. And it makes sense that there is at least one Android phone with a physical keyboard. Yeah. And if the market is 
for that is 850,000 people a year want to buy a phone with a physical keyboard. Is that a sustainable business or is it too but much it work should, to make a phone? I mean, like it this? is. It should be. There's actually a lot of hardware differentiation happening with Android right now, right? So there's the um, the red phone that we just talked about. There's the key two. This just doesn't sound like I'm just the, talking about a success story. The Vivo. The Vivo with the pop up camera pop-up and the camera. full screen. Super the, stoked. The U11, you can like squeeze it. And it will do something. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's good or bad. But like there's a lot of that like happening. U twelve plus, you can squeeze it, it'll do something. Yeah. Please <laughs> Again. Stop. Please please stop talking about Remember the U eleven that you could squeeze? <laughs> We're, the U twelve is here. You can also squeeze it. Still squeezing. U <laughs> twelve still squeezing. HTC, <laughs> give me a call. I got I got one for you. HTC, by the way, is making a Bitcoin phone. We talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. So I'm just putting that out there again as differentiation. That's a better idea than this one. Let me tell you what I don't like about the new BlackBerry phone. It yeah. is a distraction from their now core business of just being a patent troll. Yeah. Like this was the smartest thing BlackBerry did was just like give up on the idea of making things and just hiring a bunch of lawyers to go sue better companies to try to penalize them for innovating based on like old BlackBerry designs that they never could have executed. That's what BlackBerry should focus on. <laughs> See, the world needs villains. I'm just putting it out there. Exactly. Like, what right. is what right. is Batman without the Joker? That's right. <laughs> He's just a guy. <laughs> He's just a very confused young man. All right. Uh, I want to talk about dongles. Okay. Because there's this Apple thing about the iPhone 6, but whatever. Bendgate? Bendgate. I'm not going to relitigate Bendgate. Right. But I'm going to relitigate dongles every day for the rest of my life. Okay. So, I'm going to paint a conspiracy theory for you. I want all of you to tell me if you think I sound like a loon. Okay. And if I should dig up whether this is true or, uh, wait, if I sound like a loon, should drop it or whether I'm making sense okay. and I should dedicate my life to uncovering this conspiracy. Okay. Okay. I'll, you know what? Actually, I'm going to keep my remarks to myself and yeah. I'll submit them to Elon Musk's <laughs> new site. <laughs> yeah. All right. Belkin just put out a $30 cable that goes to Lightning to 3.5. If you own Beats headphones, mm-hmm. this is the cable you have needed the whole time, mm-hmm. right? Without a dongle, you can just plug your Beats headphones owned by Apple into your, your phone. Uh, my Sony headphones, right. this is the cable I've always needed. And just to be clear, because I know it can be confusing sometimes, we're talking about the, the male jack yeah, the three point five millimeter jack that goes into into the headphones, the physical part of the. Is this yeah. not adapting to your headphone cable? This becomes your headphone. This cable. becomes your headphone. This is the one that the Beats owners have wanted the whole time. Right. This is the one Sony owners have wanted the whole time because they you know whatever. Uh, lots of people with cars that still plug into the aux in. This is the cable they've always wanted, right? You just you don't need a dongle. The iPhone Seven came out eighteen months ago. Okay. Big, you know, Phil Schiller moment, courage. Before he talked about wireless, before they introduced AirPods, they're like, lightning audio is great. Here's some great lightning audio devices. It has taken 18 months plus for the cable that makes Apple's own expensive headphones simpler to work with to appear. For this reason, Apple didn't allow people to make it before, as near as we can tell. Because Apple licenses all the products that use lightning audio with the made-for-iPhone, iPod, MFI program. And they finally let people make it. I submit to you, sir. Mm. Oh, and there's also no, I think there's but one battery case for the iPhone 10, 8, 7 that has a headphone jack in it. 
which is insane to me. Because okay. I think a lot of people would have bought that if it came out with the set. I submit to you, Apple has not allowed these products to exist in order to drive people towards wireless. And the best wireless products you can buy are Apple's own wireless products. Am I a loon? Or should I dedicate my life to this conspiracy theory? <laughs> well, Master and Dynamics made one of these cables in April. It was like 70 bucks. Yeah. Paul's really thinking about it. I don't. April, by the way, was uh, last month. <laughs> so it's, it's not quite. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> just just a reminder, it is currently May. <laughs> if Apple was going to suppress the cables that, that yeah. we all need, that just seems like a lot of work. Why? They're not to, making anything. A lot of work to prop up, you know, whereas I think just the inconvenience and questionable utility is enough of an explanation of why these cables. If you're at Belkin, all they do is make cables. It's true. They don't make any other product. You think the people at Belkin, chief cable inventor, <laughs> her name is Laura. Oh. She's out there. She's like coming to work every day. She's like, I got a great idea for a cable. You this think she just, she just needs. forgot about this one? <laughs> I do don't know if her name is Laura. Brainstorming <laughs> meetings at Belkin. Huh? Yeah, that's Do what they I'm have saying. Cable brainstorming meetings at Belkin where they're just like, what cable doesn't exist that we could make? There, if I'd you, like to visit one and write a story about it. Well, Dr. Belkin, if you're listening to this, is there a doctor? Frank we, Belkin, if you well, know this. <laughs> we, it's clear we don't know enough about Belkin. But if you I, are one you know of what? these accessory okay, companies, this is your I whole job. It. This is a great conspiracy theory. I love it. Apple made life suck for people to promote. Wait, what was it? To drive like adoption the, of wireless. Like Beats and AirPods? Yeah. Well, to wireless in general. Wireless in general. So, like, if the iPhone 7 came out and then everyone bought a, head, a battery case of headphone jack, no one would have bought new wireless headphones. Mm. But they didn't let those exist, right. so everyone lived the dongle life. And I'm looking at you, buddy. Yeah, I got the Mr. I had a dongle they, per they, permanently they, attached to your I phone mean, for a year. Conspiracy or not, I have been thoroughly defeated by Apple. Apple... Apple showed up and said, here's what we're going to do. And I was like, oh, good dongles. <laughs> All right. And I was wrong. Nat, am I a loon? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, yes. does it ever surprise me ever that Apple makes life hard for people and uh, it, for the purpose of making you buy more stuff? No, like that. None of that surprises me. Mr. Newton. Uh, I, this is like an Occam's razor situation. I just don't know what the simplest explanation is. <laughs> um, and I'm saying worldwide conspiracy. <laughs> right. And, you know, also, like, I don't remember the name of the principle, but it's like never, uh, you know, ascribe to uh, malice what can be explained by uh, incompetence. Uh, and it yeah. sort of feels like maybe that is at play somewhere in here. Casey's right. a lot nicer. Than Two, four, one against. If you think that I should dedicate my life to uncovering this conspiracy, <laughs> please tweet at Paul. <laughs> He's at Future Paul. All right, I'm going to read one more ad. And we got a little bit more show for you. And then right, we're just going to promote Casey's show for, I don't know, another hour or so. Now we're talking. <laughs> there we go. All right. This is what people came here for.
This episode of the Virtual Cast brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. What if artificial intelligence could help? Farmers are using it to help increase crop yields. Watson and the IBM Cloud provide access to weather data and analyze satellite imagery to help them monitor soil moisture levels and reduce water waste. So as the population grows, more food can be put on tables. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. Paul. Mm-hmm. I will. I'm going to start threatening you in every ad now. All right, Mr. Miller. Yeah. Every week, my friend, a segment occurs. It's the weekly robot backflip update. <laughs> okay. We got a new backflipping robot. I think we're up to two. Please correct me if I'm wrong, and there are more robots that backflip. But uh, Disney is working on Stickman, which is a... Imagine uh, an acrobat that's a robot, mm-hmm. but the only have like it's like a human divided by two like, like one leg like i feel like i feel like one of the c.s lewis like one of the narnia stories there's like people that just had like one big leg anyways it's it it's one leg robot that jackknifes in the air and does a backflip and like lands on pads it's like it's like truly acrobat it's like swinging swinging through through the trapeze whoa it's like I don't know. Anyways, I don't know why. I mean, to be honest, I would definitely go to a robot circus. Yeah. Right? I feel like this segment went somewhere that you were not quite anticipating. <laughs> I was just really excited about more robot backflips. It's just really impressive. I just watched I mean, to, to be fair, the last time I went to like an acrobatic show was in China where I was feeling very bad because the most of the gymnasts and acrobats were probably like underpaid children. So <laughs> right, this is probably the, an area where a robot could totally step I don't want to wow. put children out of work. But hmm. but do I, you want to put children to work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where do you fall on that one, Paul? I think everyone should have the right to work if they want to. Yeah. Including robot. I mowed lawns when I was a kid. That's true. But if the kid doesn't want to do backflips for my entertainment, <laughs> I'm saying I'm willing <laughs> to watch a robot yeah. manufactured by children probably in China oh, no. do backflips for oh. me. Yeah. No, I think it would be fun to watch acrobat acrobatics without the danger. I want to be impressed by tech, by physical feats without the fear of death. And I feel like a lot of people think that what's cool about acrobatics is that fear that someone's going to die, yeah. like watching you know, race cars. But I think it's just the the technical achievement. Yeah, but people still cringe when they see a phone drop or like a robot falling over, and they're like, "Aw!" They still feel the same way about like robots that kind of look human like. Again, I think we started with a robot that can jump, and we've really landed on <laughs> the essential appeal of death. And I'm saying it's not appealing to me. <laughs> I know, and I and I think that you are right. We do impute, the, but th- that might be a good time for us to work through these emotions that we ascribe to inanimate objects. I will say that is the best pitch for a surface, uh, for a surface, the best pitch for a circus that I've heard in some time. Circus pro. Like, come work through your feelings about the <laughs> the entertainment value of death while you watch these robots. You have to, like, fill out a comment card at the end. You're like, this was great. I wasn't afraid anything was going to die. It's oh, horrible. Like an em- empathy rating. Yeah. Empathy oh. circus. Empathy circus. Thank you. Dot com. That's yeah, my new startup. I don't really know what it does. <laughs> But I, I think there's a circus involved. All right, Casey, I want to ask you about two things. Three yes, things. Yes, sir. Uh, well, four things. One of them is your podcast, but we'll do that at the very end. Uh, GDPR happens tomorrow. 
And Technically, it, it happens 90 minutes from now uh, because of Greenwich Mean Time. I'm 90 sure. minutes from the time of our recording. People are freaking out. Yeah. yeah. Well, by the time you listen to this, it will have happened. Mm. Yes. Done and done. Um, I've noticed, too, and Mark Zuckerberg was in front of the European Parliament this week. That went yep. medium. The format was completely insane, so I want to talk to you about that. And then I want to talk about Trump being ruled unconstitutional to block Trump people. It's being ruled unconstitutional for Trump to block people on critics. So let's start with GDPR. You've yes. been covering Facebook, democracy, privacy, all this stuff yep. for some time. Is, the, is yeah. this like the bomb going off that people think it is? Is it just a bunch of emails that are getting filtered and ignored? What's, what's, the, what's your read on it? It's sort of both of those things. Um, you know, I've read every take about GDPR and they cover every possible opinion. Um, I'll start by saying where I think it is good. It creates the expectation for all companies that if they are going to use your data they should use it in a way that you have given your express consent to. And then afterwards, you as a consumer should be able to ask that company uh, for your data and to see what data they have stored with you. I think most people would say those are pretty reasonable things to ask. Um, now, the implementation gets tricky. Uh, the enforcement is tricky. It will be imperfectly implemented and enforced. Uh, but companies really have been scrambling to make themselves ready for it. Um, and we are just going to sort of have to wait and see how it shakes out. There are potentially bad consequences to, to what is being done. Something that a lot of people say is that it will make it harder for startups to get started because there will be this sort of onerous new regulatory regime they have to comply with that uh, favors big incumbents like Facebook and Google who are already printing money and can afford all of the lawyers in the world. But I don't know. This is one where I'm just not inclined to be a nihilist and say, yeah, it's a bad regulation. Um, I think that, again, creating that expectation that companies should only use data in ways that they have told you they are going to use it uh, is a good thing. And, uh, you know, let's give it a chance and adjust. Yeah. I think that the wave of we need to regulate Facebook coverage that turned today into we're getting all these emails and they're annoying because of a regulation that took place is like that whipsaw to me is hilarious. Like this is the thing that people want, right? If you're going to regulate Facebook, they will have to adjust their policies and communicate them to you. And then everyone else right. in a similar situation will have to do the same thing. Right. They, I, think, I think we ended up in this, in this scenario because – People don't want to think about it. Yeah. I, I was just... Um, they, they don't want their data to be used poorly, and they also do not want to think about it at all, like, when they're giving it away. Yeah. But you've got, like, yeah, take some responsibility for yourself. Jo I was or talking to Joanna. Bank. Data banks. Maybe you, were, you missed that episode. I probably missed data that episode. Banks. It's like a bank for your data. And the bank take care, takes care of you? Yeah. Nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, I was talking to uh, our friend Joanna Stern, the Wall Street Journal, um, and she made an incredible video that everyone should watch where she literally printed out all of the new privacy policies for a bunch of services, 
All together, they were the length of a football field. And to illustrate this point, she rented a football field and unrolled them across a football field. Was it like 30 services? Yeah. Made a football field worth it. It's just like an incredible visual stunt. Mm -hmm. But then she actually breaks them down. She's like, all these updates happen in certain categories. And what she was saying was, there's something really deep here. And what I can tell is no one cares as much as I do. And I think that is like fundamentally the problem. Casey, you're looking expectantly at at this at the screen. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, man. I you know, on one hand, for everything that I just said, it still feels ridiculous that (laughs) you think about how many emails you've gotten about GDPR. Many of them don't say they're about GDPR, right? But I think most of us who sign up for internet services in our lives have received what feels like an insane number of emails from people. you know, I myself have probably gotten more than 40 emails and they all say the same thing, which is, you know, please review the changes to our privacy policy. And you start adding that up and it really does become an unreasonable expectation. Um, You know, most people simply can't set aside hours out of their week to understand the implications of these changes. Many people wouldn't understand the implications even if they did read it. So, you know, I don't have a good answer to that, uh, which is probably why I focus more on you know the 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 consumer benefit you know as opposed to sort of how they're rolling it out and what it is asking of the average citizen. Yeah. Okay. So let's go from there to Zuckerberg in Europe because they are deeply connected, and the European right. lawmakers were like, "Do you want to be Steve Jobs or Bill Gates and help society, or have you created a monster that will kill us all?" Yeah. Which is, pretty, a, by the uh, way, an incredible question. An amazing moment and, of course, something that Zuckerberg didn't ultimately answer. Uh, So, you know, let's talk a bit about what this was. The European Parliament held a hearing. They had long sought Zuckerberg to appear before them. Uh, Frankly, I think they saw him speaking before Congress and they got very jealous because they thought we could do a better job asking questions. And I know that they felt insulted that he didn't go over there to bow and scrape and, you know, tell them how much he loves Europe. But he agreed to do it (laughs) and it was initially going to be behind closed doors. But uh, they sort of prevailed upon him to have it be live streamed so they could all grandstand in front of the cameras. And that's what they did. Um, The format was the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. They set aside 75 minutes. Uh, There were, I'm going to say, 15 members of parliament who asked questions. And the way it worked was um, they would give a member of parliament seemingly an unlimited amount of time to ask as many questions they wanted. And then before Zuckerberg could answer, they would move on to the next member of parliament who could then do the exact same thing. (laughs) This repeated itself 15 times and it absorbed the almost the entire 75 minutes was just members of parliament talking you know, um, ostensibly at Zuckerberg, mostly to the TV cameras and sort of to each other. And then at the very end of all this, Zuckerberg, who's like been dutifully trying to categorize all of these (laughs) questions into like groups so that he can begin to address, you know, these dozens and dozens of questions, starts talking. But, you know, because there were so many questions, he was able to get away with answering them at the very highest level. You know, so he'd say something like, well, I noticed there were a lot of questions about false news, and let me tell you what we're doing about false news. And then he gave the same answer that he gave, you know, on his yeah. blog. And in this conference. format sounds like legitimately the most European thing I've ever heard. This of also, this is the sort of thing that makes me skeptical that GDPR is good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which is totally fair, you know, um, and. You know, I, for all I know, this is how they 
uh, signed the Peace of Westphalia in 1648, and so they wanted to trot it out again. Like, I don't know, but this was what was agreed to, and uh, they didn't get literally anywhere with any of this. <laughs> and at the very end, so Zuckerberg talks for 15 minutes past the time that they had allotted, uh, which he notes, and then he's like, you know, so uh, maybe wrap it up. And at that point, uh, some of the more upset members of parliament start uh, literally screaming uh, that they, um, you know, have more questions, and he didn't answer the questions. And he's like, well, my team will follow up with you. And that was the hearing. Yeah. So My whatever. favorite thing about European politics in general is that every time I watch anything, there is a short period where everyone gets to yell. Okay. And I, I feel like that's actually really healthy. <laughs> I like that. Okay, I'm back on board. Right? Like, it's just really healthy. It's like, you know what? We all just need to yell for a while. And this is the time that we do it. Mm -hmm. And it's great. The, uh, like, you watch the British, like, uh, Prime Minister's Question Time. Like, that. that's just the government berating the Prime Minister. And then he gets to yell back, and then everyone calms down. That's British Parliament. Right? Yeah, but it's Europe. They yell in Europe Parliament too. All over. There's yelling. This is so good. That's yeah. so good. It is healthy. Wait, Casey. It is healthy. Casey, <laughs> the, the, um, I feel like we've had an ongoing conversation about like uh, conservative censorship, whatever. I feel like that was kind of addressed, right? Yeah, so uh, he got that question from Nigel Farage, the prime minister of Britain, who noted that, uh, according to him, his posts were seeing 25% less engagement than they used to. And uh, he asked Zuckerberg to uh, answer the question of whether Facebook was censoring conservative viewpoints. Um, this is a question that drives me crazy because the number one publisher on Facebook last month was Fox News. Um, and also, there's nothing easier than to see a feed full of conservative news on Facebook if you want it. But, um, you know, to frankly great effect, conservatives have complained that they are seeing, you know, reduced engagement, and this must be part of uh, some sort of conspiracy against conservative viewpoints. Uh, there were hearings about it in, in Congress here. Uh, maybe there will be hearings about it in Europe. Uh, I, I find the whole thing a, a ridiculous sideshow that the evidence just does not support. Uh, if you are seeing reduced engagement on Facebook, get in line buddy, because that is how Facebook works. You put a lot of effort into it and uh, to diminishing returns, and you get to a point where you wonder why you are there at all. Yeah. Yeah, what if they could put out a number that just says, here's, here's how much less traffic we're sending to, <laughs> to non-friends and family. I, uh, again, this is one of those, like, 4 a.m., Neil is just, like, on his phone while the kid is sleeping. But I tweeted a quote from the Weather Channel. It's like, Facebook pays us in everything but money. Like, mm. For two years, they paid us in likes and shares, and none of those things feel like money. And just, like, for three days, random media people are finding it and hitting like and retweet them. <laughs> and it's, like, it's just this moment that everyone in the media is, like, yep, that is definitely how I feel about Facebook. Like, they just don't pay us in money. Everything but money. <laughs> All right, last one, Casey, then we got to go. Uh, well, last two. I want to talk about your podcast for two minutes. But uh, Trump not being allowed to block his Twitter critics. Is this... In the grand scheme of social networks and democracy, big deal, little deal. Where, where do you where do you land? Big deal. So here's yeah. why it's crazy. The court ruled that Twitter is a public forum, and that an elected official cannot block access to a public forum, and. That has really interesting implications because a lot of folks who argue for more content moderation will say things like, look, these are private spaces. You don't have the right to 
to put whatever you want. It's not censorship if the government isn't doing it. No one has a right to have to see what what you tweet. Um, and and that has been a, a line of thinking that has pushed Twitter forward as it develops features like tuning the algorithm so that um, you don't automatically see replies from people you don't follow, which, you know, of course, generally means that you might see less abuse. So we've sort of been going down that track. And here the court comes along and says, well, look, I mean, you know, the president is using his Twitter feed to run the country to some degree, to a terrifying degree, um, and to block people um, is is to sort of take away their right to have a voice in this public forum. And so they said it was unconstitutional. So I, you know, I don't know that I had a prediction of, of which way this was going to go because I'm not a lawyer. I, d- I don't understand the case law here. Um, but the implications of this are crazy. And and this is not going to happen, but I love imagining this happen. Is Donald Trump having to go through his block list and manually unblocking every person who he's blocked, like since starting <laughs> Twitter? I, I just love that image. It brings me joy. He's on his Galaxy S4, just like pounding away. <laughs> yeah. uh, There's a great story this week on Politico. It was like a little uh, sourcing was a little up and down um, that he has two phones and he refuses to turn over the one with Twitter on it for security evaluations. <laughs> that terrifies me. Yeah. he'll ha- The one that he makes calls on, apparently he hands in every month. But the Twitter phone, he's like, that's too inconvenient, mm. which I don't understand because presumably he has to do nothing. <laughs> Right, he just has to get another phone in his hand, and he's like, that's too inconvenient, because he must tweet at all times. It's true. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Anyway, Casey, tell us about yeah. Converge. And then we'll, uh, you, got, you got two you minutes, and we got to bail out of here. Are you referring to the number seven ranked technology podcast in the world right now? <laughs> yes, that one. Uh, then let me tell you about it. Um, if you are a longtime listener of the Vergecast, you had a chance to hear us play a couple of games from it. Um, I played Retro Pitch with Paul and Neli, which I can now confirm. Uh, is coming up again on an episode that we recorded yesterday. Um, But it's an interview game show, and the feedback we've gotten so far has been great, and it's been consistent. And what we've heard a lot of people say is, you know, it's nice to have a tech show that is funny. Like, these are real interviews with very smart people, but they're also very silly, and so we laugh a lot. And so if that sounds like something that you might want in your life, uh, I encourage you to subscribe to Converge uh, for a guaranteed good time. I'm into it. And by the way, I, let me pay you this compliment. I don't know. Your first guest was Asina uh, Sistani. I don't from know, House Party. From House yeah. Party. I don't know her, but I someone was tweeting at all three of us the other day. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's, I know her. And like that is an incredible feeling to come away from an interview and feel like you actually know someone. Well, I feel like she's my best friend now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, she is wait, but, wonderful. But I have, a, I have a very important question. Yeah. The show starts off with a, a laugh track. Right. But I feel like the laugh track fades over time. Am I right? You're right. Um, and this was a sound <laughs> design uh, by Andrew Marino, our wonderful producer and editor who did all of the sound on the show. And Andrew surprised me with the laugh track. He just sort of like gave me the cut of the episode and I listened to it and you hear this laugh track and 
you know, if he had told me he was going to do it, I'm sure I would have said, gosh, I don't know. Like, that's going to sound really weird. But when I listened to it, I felt like it gave it the feel of a game show, like that live studio audience thing. And the fact that it just kind of gradually fades away into the background to the point where you sort of stop noticing that it was there in the first place. I thought it was a really cool effect. So, you know, we'll genius. see what it sounds like. I will say it was the 100% the most controversial aspect of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I did get tweets from people who were like, what are you doing with this laugh track? But then I got, you know, frankly, a, a higher number of... Uh, of tweets and emails from people saying, I love the laugh track. Like, what a crazy, unexpected element. So I think we're going to keep it at least for uh, for a while. I'm, I'm, I also was curious to see. It surprised me. I love being surprised. Yeah. And it was good that it, it, it fades, but I do, I think I love it at the start. I'm adding a laugh track to this show. Yeah. And the soundboard <laughs> and one of those, like, crazy air horn things and fart sounds. It's going to be great. Now, what's going on with our tech team that people should check out this week? Anything good? Um... Gosh, what's going on with our tech team that you guys haven't talked about? I mean, like, it's a bunch of new phones. There, um, yeah, we have a bunch of phone reviews that are out. Um, Dan Seifert reviewed the OnePlus Six, which people were very excited about. Our LG G7 reviews up, so people should check that out. Um, Dieter has a new episode of Processor by Android P Gestures that you can also check out. Um, and if you are interested in more things Google, you can also read. A small little thing I just wrote about how Google managed to add another messaging feature to to a Google product called YouTube. (laughs) You can now chat on YouTube because why not? Why not? I like this if this is just part of a running joke that Google's now in on where Google makes too many chat applications. But do you think Google is going to try to make YouTube its social network? It already is. By far. Yeah. It is 100% the most popular social product Google makes. Yeah, I mean, it has. I it ha- it. You can follow people. You can. It has the community tab. Yeah, you can comment and talk to each other. And now you can talk to each other. You can add friends. Soon you'll be able to tweet. I hate. I hate those posts. Where I'm scrolling through YouTube and it's <laughs> like. Ah. I mean, you know that like there is a theory that the long-term destination for Twitter as a thing is for YouTube. Like there are a lot of people out there, including a lot of former Twitter executives, who think it would be smart of YouTube to just buy Twitter and because you know, so many top YouTubers are already using Twitter as a way to like talk to their fans in the world. So I it is you know not something I count out. That would be wild. Yeah. If only Twitter would expand YouTube links in line. That'd be a good first peace offering. <laughs> Hey, do you want to buy us? We've started to let people watch your videos on our platform. All right. That is it. We've gone a little bit over time. Thank you, Casey, for being here. Thank you for shamelessly plugging your show. Nat, thank you for joining us. Of course. Paul, you're fine. Thanks. Well. Paul, buy, buy, buy the products I've advertised to you. <laughs> I will. Use AI for your farm, Paul. <laughs> I don't know. You can follow us everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, we're at Verge. There's a new... Instagram account from The Verge, which is excellent. It is our art department. Uh, all the custom art they make for the site, all the wallpapers are doing. It is The Verge Art on Instagram. Rocket Ship, uh, already 10,000 subscribers in one day, which are followers, whatever they are on Instagram, in one day. There's also Verge Science, which is doing gangbusters on YouTube. So check out our two new channels that we're doing. There's more podcasts to listen to. There's obviously Casey's. There's Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. Uh, and there's Recode Media with Peter Kaufman. By the way, Kara... I just want to shout out Kara, who is the ultimate sometimes, because in the middle of all this Elon Musk stuff, just war tweeted at him about coming to the code conference. And he replied, hi, I'm really busy at the factory, but let's do it. And then she was like, I'll come to the factory. We'll go to the factory. I'll build a car. Anything. I, do you think she's going to show up at the code conference? 
You know, I I wouldn't rule it out. Like he is yeah. an impulsive person, and he has been to the Code Conference before. And as you say, Kara Swisher incredibly persuasive. So my fingers are crossed because it would be amazing. Yeah, it Can- would be. And also, that my favorite part about this entire thing is I was out yesterday, and at eleven o'clock I come home, I open my laptop, and I get an email from Dieter saying, "Look at this tweet. Please plan around this. I know it's going to be late your time." <laughs> but please went around this. And I said, well, I said nothing. I just closed my laptop. <laughs> like, I Dieter, I can't do this right now. Uh, well, oh my Casey, you'll be at, at Code. Dieter will be at Code. Yep. We'll have coverage that's coming up. It's going to be a big week. Uh, WWC is next week. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks? Yes. Look, I'm not actually back at work yet. <laughs> I'm officially back at work and next and week. I cannot use a calendar. <laughs> I haven't looked. I'm try, I'm try, I did my best to be f- far away from work. I'm officially back next week. The quality of the show will increase uh, because I will have prepared for it instead of just winging it uh, after changing your baby. Uh, but that's it. That's the show. Thank you very much. Rock and roll. <laughs>